0: You're listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like, and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So, pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home.
1: Welcome back to Episode 3. My name is Steph Coombs, and in this episode, I'm sitting down with the Assistant Manager of Bliner Station, Connie Wood. Connie has written some of the most popular stories on our website, and in the first part of this episode, we revisit the story of how her husband, Matt, proposed at Broom Rodeo, and also the story of how Matt came to be known as Groomzilla. Later on, we sit down and talk about what's been happening since the wedding. In particular, how life has changed for Connie since becoming a first-time mum on an isolated cattle station. Connie shares a refreshingly honest insight into life on a station, so let's get into it.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Pioneer Water Tanks. Designed for Australia's harsh and demanding conditions, Pioneer Water Tanks are manufactured using strong and durable, fully recyclable Australian zinc or color steel. Their range of tanks are available from 12,000 to 250,000 litres in the standard range, or can be custom-built up to 2.6 million litres. To protect your valuable water assets and access it where and when you need it, insist on Pioneer Water Tanks, available Australia-wide.
1: Just a heads up, guys, there are a few naughty words in this episode, so if you have small ones around, it's probably best to plug in a set of headphones.
2: My cool, calm, and collected partner was unusually nervous as we headed from Bliner to Broome for the last rodeo of the season, followed by the Broome Cup. He was twitchy and weird, watching Saddle Bronk riding flat out on his phone and being cagey. I was getting a tad annoyed at the short responses, his hazel eyes, usually looking about, checking out everyone else's patch of country, were instead fixated to the iPhone screen, showing no signs of budging. I just put it down to nerves about riding in, in front of such a big crowd. We arrive at the rodeo grounds, just on the outskirts of beautiful Broome. Normally I help out with whatever needs doing before and during the various rodeo events in the Kimberley. I'll just hang around for a bit and maybe give Zoe a call and see if she needs a hand. Matt snapped. Nope, nope. Zoe doesn't need a hand. She's got it covered. Have a night off for once and just go to the bar and hang out with your friends. I thought to myself, geez, I must have pissed Zoe off somewhere along the line. I better sort that out tonight and apologise for whatever it was. I left Matt in his strange mood at the rodeo grounds to check into our hotel, settle in and have a couple of drinks to start my night off. I was happily singing away, chatting on my phone and sipping my wine while I blow-dried my hair and doing all of the girly stuff that girls in the bush very rarely get to enjoy. Matt called to check on me and the usual torrent of questions start. Babe, did you check in all right? Yep, all good, buddy. What are you up to? Nothing, I pause. Maybe drinking wine? what are you going to wear? What? I pulled a face. What is it to you? I don't know. A shirt? Don't wear that blue and white striped one. Wear something sexy. My nose screwed up again at this last cheeky comment. And anyone who understands knows Matt will understand the tone. Who's picking you up? Why? I don't know. Jessie? By this time I was thinking, hmm, okay, just settle down, Matt. But after living with and loving a station manager for a couple of years now, it comes with the territory to deal with a somewhat control freak personality from time to time. I just put it down to nerves and being the last and largest rodeo of the Kimberley circuit. Con, are you going to be on time tonight? I sigh. Yes, I'll be on time. Thinking, this is odd. What does it matter? It's my night off. I can come down when I jolly well feel like it. Well, just to make sure you get down to the grounds in good time, babe. I hung up thinking, fuck off. I'm taking my sweet time and I'm wearing that shirt. Plus, I don't think I own anything that fits Matt's definition of sexy. Another hour passes. It's about seven o'clock by now and I'm on my way to my third glass of wine, starting to really enjoy the time off. The phone rings again. It's Matt. I sigh and pick up the phone, ready to be told off for being late. Where are you? The bronc ride is going to start soon. Me. I'm still at the hotel. You told me to have the night off. Matt. What? Connie, what the hell? You're going to miss my ride. Me. Getting grumpy and defensive. Well, you miss plenty of my runs all the time. I don't need to see you ride and fall off yet another bloody bronc horse. Matt. Getting stressed now. Constance, you need to see my ride. I'll send Tony to come and get you. Connie, no, it's fine. Jessie's coming to get me. She's almost in broom. Matt, nope, you and Jessie would just get on the wines. I know you bitches. I'll send Tony. Connie, Matt, you are being a control freak. Settle down and I'll get to the bloody rodeo. It's not a drama. It's just another rodeo. Matt, As usual, having none of it, called Tony over and sent her to come and collect me. Tony happens to be a very close friend of mine and was working in the Stock camp last year. Tony, true to form, got lost finding the hotel. After a few phone calls and directions and a slight rise in Matt's blood pressure... She was back on the right track and arrived at my hotel. I was sitting on a rock out the front, drinking a pink cruiser by now, not too too phased and blissfully unaware of the stress my partner was experiencing. Tony ushers me into the car. She was flustered, but she hid it well. Off we go to the rodeo grounds. When we arrive at the grounds, Chev, another girl in the camp, comes running out to collect Tony's car. I found out later this is so she didn't have to spend the time parking it. Citing the excuse of "I need to get money out," we rush into the grounds and Jessie meets us at the front. See, we would have gotten there on time. Get to the bar, and it seems Tony has a spot right at the front of the bar, already reserved by a greater driver, Stewie, who is grinning and looking extremely pleased with himself for reserving such a top spot. Oop! There's that familiar feeling. I inform Tony that I'm busting for a wee. I'll be back in a tick. does she want anything from the bar on my way back? Tony looks concerned at this. How long will you be? You'll miss Matt's ride. I think, what is with everyone tonight? It's like it's not like it's the PBR or national finals or something. Off I go, via the ladies, get the drinks and head back. I get back to our spot. Tony taps me excitedly. Matt's going to ride in a tick. Don't go anywhere. Cool. I grab my phone. It's my usual habit to video his rides. Phone at the ready. I watch Matt go through the usual routine of saddling up the bronc. Tony snatches my phone. Con? I'll video. You're crappy at it. I laugh, remembering one of the last times he rode at Fitzroy Crossing. I got way over excited, too busy watching, and videoed the tops of the trees around the arena. Righto. I concede and hand over the phone to my mate. Todd Walsh is the president of Broom Rodeo Club, also a good mate of ours, and as usual is announcing the rodeo. He also takes great delight in dishing out public embarrassment over the mic. I hold my breath and frown as I see Walsh head over to Matt's shoot with the mic. God, Walshie, please don't give me shit in front of all these people. Matt lowers down onto the horse. Walshie starts his spiel. Except this time he's interviewing Matt. Hey? I'm too busy straining to hear Walshie and Matt's interview to notice my friends watching me trying to contain their excitement. I hear. You're looking pretty nervous, Mr Wood. Matt is sitting back in his bronx saddle now, feet in the stirrups, ready to ride. Matt's reply. Yep. Yep, well, she' pretty nervous tonight, mate. You're telling me, I think. Hurry up, boys, get it over with so I can go back to normal. I'm pretty nervous tonight because I've got a pretty big question to ask a certain young lady. What, I think? What question? Miss Constance Gray, I want to ask you if you'll be my wife. Holy crap, I think. Is this happening? I'm half deaf. I actually am half deaf. Did I hear right? Rot rhymes with wife. I look at Tony, and she's got a smile from ear to ear and is nodding at me, confirming my thoughts. Before I know it, I'm up the rails, giving Matt the thumbs up. Yes, of course I'll bloody marry you. Now please don't hurt yourself. Matt nods his head. Right, old boys, outside. The horse didn't buck hard, so he rode time easily, ending up with a re-ride. Now, I spoiled the grand plan. He had planned to ride time, jump on the pickup man's horse, ride around to my spot in the bar, then get down on one knee. Now, I've never been one to sit back and let things just float on my way. So as soon as I see that bronc thunder pass and clear the arena, I'm up and over the rails, ducking and weaving, dodging the pickup horses, grinning at the guys as I go, pushing past Walshy, and I'm running towards Matt to make sure he gets my answer before he changes his mind. My heart is pounding. He hasn't seen me yet with all the goings on in the arena, and I tap him on the shoulder as he's trying to get something from Michael Dale's pocket, my ring. He turns around, surprised that it's me, and I've foiled his plan of being the white knight and a pickup horse. He fumbles for the box, lucky not to drop it in the red sand of the arena. And there he is, down on one knee, still in the chaps I bought him for his birthday. I smile. He says to me, ''Well, how's this for a bloody grand gesture, Con?'' ''What do you say?'' ''And I can't wipe the Cheshire cat smile from my face.'' ''Yes,'' I say, ''Yes, a thousand times over.'' My big handsome cowboy smiles at me, jams the ring on my finger, it fits perfectly, wraps me in his arms as he gives me a kiss in true show- showman style, throws his hat into the air to the cheer of a 4,000 strong broom rodeo crowd.
1: Next, Connie shares the story of what it was like planning her wedding and how she became known as the Bride do-banger and Matt became known as Groomzilla.
2: I've never been one of those girls who dreamed about their wedding. To be honest... I thought that getting married and living happily ever after was one of those things that happened to everyone else. I was too complex, too torn between two worlds to ever find someone who matched me or who would accept my special kind of weird. My vision of myself was being the loose old single spinster at everyone else's wedding, getting drunk off free wine, pinching young blokes on the bum, dancing like an old stud and falling in the wedding cake. Pretty good second prize, I thought. At least I'd be having a good time. But when that tall, dark and handsome man got down on one knee, I thought, "Geez, this is it. This is where my happily ever after starts. This is how it feels. What the hell do I do now? True to form, Matt had a plan. Matt's always got a plan. We would get married before the cattle season starts again. Before Easter, pretty tight deadline, but perhaps he was as worried as I that the other party would change their mind and decide, nah, actually, my happily ever after doesn't end with you. So this is mid-August 2014. We wanted to get married in March 2015. I count September, October, November, December, January, February, March. Seven months. We agreed. Challenge accepted. The date would be march twenty eighth, twenty fifteen. We would be married in Broome. Amongst juggling my job as an HR advisor at a mine on Ellendale and my duties at Blona, I started the mammoth job of planning our wedding. Big ticket items first. Bridesmaids. Venue. Celebrant Invitations Caterer. Don't be a bridezilla. I kept the bridezilla moments to a minimum. And there are a multitude of stories I could share about planning a wedding in the bush. But in particular, I wanted to share one of the more trivial arguments we had during the lead up to the wedding. Matt's idea of a great wedding was vastly different to mine. I remember driving across the Erskine Range and we had our first of many wedding arguments. Matt didn't care about details like having pretty chairs or fairy lights. He wanted a huge sit down affair with lots of rum and a pig on the spit. I could see my Pinterest board of rustic, country-themed wedding ideas going up in smoke and fast. Matt was the one with a jerry can of petrol and a match. I tried to reason with him. What about hessian and lace? Pretty fairy lights, just a few people but do it really nicely. Nah, stuff that, forget about all that. We'll just have a few balloons and homebrew rum and everyone can grab a roll and serve themselves. I could feel my gut tightening. I was not going to get married at a goddamned BNS ball. I might not have dreamed about this for years, but now it was finally here. I wanted a touch of class. I gripped the steering wheel tight, trying to hold back the tears. I could feel fighting their way forward. Breathe, Connie. Just breathe. I was not going to cry over decorations and chairs. I was not going to be that girl. I am not a bridezilla. Oh, God. Yep. It's happening. I was being that girl. I felt my face go hot and the tears spilled down and out, of, and, out and down my cheeks. I sobbed. My fiancé was being a brute. Matt so- stopped mid-sentence. He was going on again about homebrew rum and saving money. What? Connie, what's wrong? Are you crying? Why are you crying? The homebrew idea was just too much and I wailed, I don't want a BNS wedding, I just want nice chairs and pretty things. Matt laughed at me. How dare he laugh? This was serious stuff. He frowned at me. Connie, get a grip, he told me off sternly, as he always does when I become melodramatic or start feeling sorry for myself. No, I cried getting melodramatic and starting to feel sorry for myself, wondering how I could possibly marry a man who didn't care about the pretty chairs I saw on Pinterest. You don't understand. It's important. I don't want it to be feral. Everything we do is feral. I just want something pretty for once. He laughed at me again, his tone softening. Connie, do you remember the chairs at Alicia and Blair's wedding? What about at Kate and AJ's? My mind ticked over, digging into my memory bank, desperate to prove him wrong. I came up with big, dark eggs. No, I could not remember the chairs. Or the decorations, for that matter. I sniffed. No, I can't remember, but I bet they were nice. Matt laughed again, sensing he was going to talk me round on this one. He usually does. Connie, do you know what goes on chairs? What goes on chairs, Matt? I snapped. Arsholes, Connie. Arsholes go on chairs. Nobody leaves a wedding saying, Oh, wow, did you see those chairs? Forget about the great time we had, all oh, the free grog and the dancing. Oh, how happy the couple looked. Connie, nobody cares about chairs. Arsholes go on chairs. Despite myself, I knew he had a point. I stifled a laugh and I wiped the stupid tears away. I just had my first of very few Bridezilla moments. It really didn't matter about the chairs. All that mattered is that we got to marry one another in front of our friends and family. After that argument, I promised myself, every time you get caught up in something trivial and superficial, just think, Connie, assholes, go on chairs. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Think of the big picture. As a result of this mantra, Matt and I ended up role reversing Matt is a naturally very organized person and has very set ideas about the order of things. I often joke that my job is to manage the manager and I often had to remind my overzealous fiance to butt out of it and let me organize this. It was the natural order of things. He wasn't supposed to manage the wedding like a cattle station. Did he butt out? Hell no. At meetings with caterers, party hire planners and the like, I would sit back and take a few notes, putting my trust in the fact that these people were professionals. While Matt had a list of questions written in his his elder's notebook that he would fire off at a million miles an hour, scrutinising every decal, to the point that sometimes it was uncomfortable. This is how he got the nickname with our family and friends of Groomzilla. After my first teary outburst, driving over the Erskine Range, I was determined to be relaxed about this wedding. I wanted to enjoy the experience. Matt wanted to manage the wedding, the best way he knew how. In the same way he scrutinised lick consumption in blinders weaner paddocks, he scrutinised quotes for the meat and alcohol. And with the same keen eye he uses to draft keeper heifers, he drafted through suits and shirts in the formal hire place. He even tried to have a say about the bridesmaid dresses. He laughed a lot to me, like getting a wedding dress and all the boring girly stuff like invitations and decorations. But I had to laugh when he would stick his nose in and start making phone calls about items I had already sorted. When I would tease Matt about being a groomzilla, he would retort, Well, I'd rather be a groomzilla than a bride doughbanger banger like you, big monkey. I still laugh at that term. Like, seriously, who calls their fiancé a bride do-banger? Matt and I ended up with a wedding celebration, which was the perfect compromise, just as it should be. No, I didn't get nice chairs. But, yes, I had a beautiful dress. My bridesmaids were stunning and some pretty, pretty decorations. Matt got his roast pork and homebrew rum and a full sit-down meal. But most importantly, we were privileged enough to marry one another as best friends and partners in this life in front of people who we love and hold dear. It truly was my dream wedding and I wouldn't want it to have been any other way.
1: Coming up after the break, Connie and I talk about the highs and lows of being a first time mother and how her and her husband, Matt, juggle parenthood while managing a cattle station.
0: Ag workforce specializes in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au.
1: Okay, Connie, so it's been four years since you wrote that story and it's been a while since we've heard from you guys on Central Station because I know you've just been so busy up here on Bliner. What's been happening since we last heard from you? Well,
2: we have a one and a half year old Child, toddler, terror, really full on, is absolute <laughs> terror. Um, and yeah, we've been we've been to Europe. We did a honeymoon so at the end of two thousand and fifteen, we we went off on a honeymoon. Matt tells everyone that we honeymooned at Ellendale first round, but that's not true. <laughs> and
1: so, for people who aren't
2: uh, aware, what is Allendale? Ellendale is the outstation to Bliner, so it's about.
1: It's been closed down now, but it's about forty k's towards yep. Fitzroy Crossing. So yes. after you guys had the wedding and broom, mm-hmm. how soon was it before you were straight back into mustering? Um, about two weeks. We had family here, and then the crew all rocked up, and then we we're into it. Okay. Yeah. And so, but in that two weeks, you were still having to do bore runs and jobs on the station. Yes. Yep. Bore runs never stop. Yeah. <laughs> they never stop. <laughs> and then so you went straight into mustering, did the season, and you had to have your honeymoon in yeah, the wet season yeah in the wet season which was
2: actually worked out really well because we got to we got to ski in austria and we got to see the snow but we really had to rug up
1: now knowing how much matt likes to manage things with you know the stories you've just told us from the proposal and the wedding How was the planning for the honeymoon? Who was in charge of that? It was me, but I just, I hid most of it from Matt. (laughs) I had like
2: my little notepad that he wasn't allowed to look in. But I think it was a pretty out of his comfort zone because we were going to Europe and he had a couple of, he had his like big ticket items So he wanted to go skiing and he wanted to see the hometown where his grandfather is from in Hungary.
1: But other than the rest of it, he was like, yeah, sure. Do your thing, which I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and did he, as you got close to the honeymoon, did he start wanting to know more about it? Yes.
2: Or? Oh, he was really quite controlling about the passports. He was really like quite anal about that. He's like, you have to have your passport. I'm like, I'll have my passport sorted. But you can't go if you haven't got your passport. And while we were overseas, Matt kept our passports around his neck in one of those, you know, <laughs> the little passport holders that I they think have. have seen those, yeah. yeah. And it was, we went to London and visited a girlfriend there and Matt would like, he refused to spend money on decent married <laughs> jeans. So he wore these like, like they kind of looked like acid wash, like really light blue 80s denim jeans everywhere with hiking boots and two beanies and like a skibby. Our mate. Spoon, who's passed away now, took great delight in teasing Matt the fact that he had to wear a skivvy and that he was on Facebook wearing a skivvy. But Matt would wear his skivvy and his two beanies because it was cold with his ski jacket, which was bright blue, and the passports around his neck. So I tried to be like quite cool, you know, trendy, trendy with like nice, you know, high boots and tights and nice jackets and you know, matching things, and then Matt just looked like an American tourist the whole time. <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> I just love that Matt was wearing, like, the neck version of a bum bag. Pretty much. I think that if he found could have found a bum bag, he would have worn one.
1: And yep. did anything happen on the honeymoon? I just feel like there should be so many stories about yeah. Kimberly boy in Europe. Yeah. yeah. Matt's got this bad habit of – um. When he's
2: he's better now because we have been overseas but talking to people who are foreign he doesn't he talks slower and louder <laughs> so you know it's like how I talk to your
1: child <laughs> yeah
2: pretty much pretty much <laughs> but he was he'd be like I want one one croissant croissant one for me I'd be like man and the person would be looking at him like is there something wrong with you? I was like, no, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I just, I'm sorry about that. But yeah, he's, yeah, it was great. It was good fun, but it makes you realize when you go overseas how great it is in Aussie. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And then, so that was wet season 2015, coming into 2016. Yep. yep. And then Harrison was born in 2017. 17, yeah. Yeah. What's that so- been like? Or how was planning for a baby yeah again (laughs) yeah while we're on the the subject of (laughs) of matt being a planner how did he go planning for a baby yeah
2: well he was actually much more worried so i fell pregnant um in the early early 2017 harrison was born in october 2017 um, and i'd worked in the camp the whole year before then it took us a while to fall pregnant with harry um so when i did fall pregnant it was really really well it's exciting anyway but when you've been yeah you've had disappointments and you've been trying for so long you yeah it gets and then everybody asks you as soon as you get married when are you having a baby when are you having a baby and then you have another baby you have the baby and they say when are you having another one you're like really I just popped this one out um but yeah so planning for 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 Harry I knew all along that it was a little boy but Matt didn't want to know he wanted a surprise so but being pregnant I, I some women love being pregnant I didn't really love it because I found it I love my little boy to bits, but I found it really difficult because suddenly there's all these rules about what you can and can't eat, what you can and can't do. You can't have a beer after work, which really sucked. But I still was involved in the station pretty well until I had Harrison. I I rode up until probably 25 weeks. But Matt had all the all the pilots on lookout. He's like, if she chases a wiener, dive bomb that horse and pull it up. Like she's not allowed to you had I had to be on the tail and I wasn't allowed to chase anything, which was really hard. That was challenging for me.
1: <laughs> Did he have any other rules? Um Did he try and introduce rules for you? Well, not
2: really because he's he tries that and it doesn't doesn't fly really. I just tell him to – Um and just things like, yeah, not being allowed to get in the yard with cattle, which is, it's all common sense yeah. stuff. But sometimes you do forget, you can just see something happening and you just want to get involved. Like I did help train staff on the on the calf cradle, but um, when I was early pregnant, which is, you know, you you're not showing anyway. But it, yeah, it's hard with the heat and morning sickness and stuff and trying to keep this secret. We actually told the staff that we had here. That I was pregnant, so they didn't think I was just...
1: Being lazy. Being lazy, yep. <laughs> being precious. <laughs> being precious, yep. yep. Did you, by the end of it, were you showing quite a bit? Yeah, I had Did like, a, I was like arms and legs with a like, basketball, little okay. basketball tummy. So for people who haven't seen Connie before, she you are quite petite, so I was just wondering <laughs> by the end, if you had this big bump, yeah. was it quite hard to kind of, yeah. were you kind of like top heavy or it, belly heavy? I was kind of
2: like belly heavy. I remember trying to get on my horse once, I think I was about... oh, 25, 30 weeks, per, if that, if that, if that, um, and trying to like get on my horse. And I never really thought about how much core strength it takes to get on. I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm just going to heave myself up here now. Like, that's okay, sorry about that, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, but, yeah, you do, you feel a bit unbalanced. And I remember we, our headstock at the time was Michael and We used to like do like rooster boosters and like bump. mug had a bit of beer belly. I had a baby belly. We used to, like bump our bellies together, <laughs> 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 run at each other and bump our guts together.
1: And what was it like coming back to the station with a newborn? Yeah, it was pretty
2: crazy, actually, because we were still doing – Harrison came two and a half weeks early, um, so um, we were still – we were mustering still, and our headstockman had to go away for something. So Matt actually came back. Harrison was two days old, three days old, and Matt came back to the station, um, and then my mum. So that was a bit – I was like, at the time, I was like, no, no, it's fine. fine. I've got this. It's no worries. And then you get like the – Breastfeeding hormones kick in. You're like, oh my god, I'm here with this tiny baby, and what my husband's mustering? Like, why did I let that happen? And now we look back and we're like, why did we do that? Why did we do that? Did you have but, him in broom? Yeah, in broom. Yeah, it, yeah, in broom. It was pretty, yeah, pretty amazing. The the broom hospital there. But my mum came up, and when I came back, so I was in broom for a week. Um, Uh, you know, I had Harry on the Wednesday and I came back the Wednesday after my mum and my sister flew up and they came back out. They came back to the station with me, which was it was really good because we were still mustering.
1: So what's it been like going from working full-time in the camp to having a baby? How is that? Are you, do you get to work on the station now or? It's any, for any
2: mum, it's a huge change in your life. You go from suddenly just only having to care about the two of you to suddenly having this child totally dependent and I breastfed as well so it changes your diet changes so so much but I I loved I love still being out and about but for the first first when he was it was over the wet season so it was October when he was born so that the first few months you really are housebound You are, because it it is hot and it was humid. So I carried Harry around a lot in a baby carrier and it's just too hot for them to be out and about. Um, And so probably I didn't really do all that much, the odd ball run, until probably halfway through 2018. And then Harry was bigger. He was more mobile. um, We could do more. He was sort of a bit more resilient. Um, And I started back part-time. Um, then and I would do my role just changed a bit I sort of did a bit more of Matt's office stuff I did more like ball running I still um, second round mustering last year I was almost on every muster but that's because my sisters were up so I had help so I figured out pretty quick that there are these amazing women who are on stations and they're, they're working flat out with with kids but and maybe I mean in my experience and the people that I know they've always got help they've got someone someone to help them. The yes, it really does. Um, and is yeah, you see these women working full time, they've got daycare in cities. Or they've got someone here. So out here, I've clicked on pretty quick. I thought, right, if I want to be doing this, I need help. I can't, you know, you might think you're superwoman, but there's no way that I personally I'm just talking about myself here, that I could just have Harry Harry there and just be on the cradle all day. Like I, I, I don't feel that's for me that doesn't feel right, just having my kid there. So for me, you know, particularly working in, in the cattle yards, I it's it's always a juggling act. So if I'm at work, I want to know that I can be focused on the job at hand. So if you're on the branding cradle, if I'm helping Matt at the crush, that I know Harry's safe and I'm not I can't just be ignoring him when he's there. I want to oh, I don't really know how to say it.
1: No, that's okay. I think I know what you're trying to say. It's that when you're in the yards, you know, when you're working with other you're responsible for your own safety, the safety of the yeah. team you're working with and for the livestock, you need to be focused on that job. But um, something we spoke about over breakfast this morning mm. is that the reason that you try and get Harry out at every opportunity is because we work such long days yeah. up here. If he were to stay at the homestead with a governess, you would see him very early in the morning yeah. if he was awake and then at the end of the day. So you want to see him as much as you can so he comes with you. Yeah. But when he's there, if he was just in a playpen sitting yeah. there and there's not somebody there to be helping. designated to be watching yeah. him, you're going to be doing something and just constantly looking yeah. over your shoulder and checking for him we- and that's – yeah. Makes it less safe for you and the people you're yeah. working with and then also for him as well. Yeah. So it's true. I have had when so we've got an amazing cook who brings
2: him along behind the masters. She'll have him when we're camped at yards, she'll have him and she'll be playing with him outside of the yards. Um but I have had him in in the yard in a playpen when I've been when she hasn't been able to have him for whatever reason. And it is like that. You like you you know, you you're processing the calf calves at the at the calf cradle and then you're looking over, like taking your child, and then you do another one and then you take your child. Especially <laughs> as
1: they get bigger. And yes. like he is a big baby. He's like the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. And it won't be too long before he can just Climbs flip out. that cage yes. and just
2: yeah go and do what you want it, yeah it's a bit it's a bit of a tricky one, but in saying that because i'm only i'm i'm a part time so I don't have any guilt if if Harry is sick or something goes wrong, I can just go okay, sorry guys, I'm a mum first i often on my like instagram posts insta um I say i'm a part time cowgirl full time mummy which yep. is i feel that sums it up quite perfectly because I love this life. I've always loved this life I've grown up with this, but once for me, being a mum is all encompassing, that's my number one priority is being a mum. and the fact that we have we work on a place and we manage a place for a company that is very supportive of families, and you know i we can we have the privilege that we can bring our little boy can come along to work with us and still be safe and how lucky we are to be able to do that, that he's not just stuck in the homestead somewhere. I never want that for my children.
1: And that is a real privilege because I do know of at least one other company that mm. does have a rule that children can't yeah. leave basically the house. So it is great yeah. that Harry's growing up and yeah. we've gone down to the yards together and yeah. out on a ball run and I've seen him out on a muster. and Yeah, and he's he loves gonna, it. It's going to be a handy kid. I hope so. <laughs> if you can't find the staff to to,
2: to be able to to, to to do the job you've got to breed your own. So not saying that I'm gonna breed a stock camp. No way. No way. <laughs>
1: There's only so many seats you can have in a car.
2: Oh yeah. Then you have to upgrade. That's not I don't wanna do that.
1: <laughs> so I wanna ask you within our group of friends and people our age between the Kimberley and the Pilbara, there's quite a few babies on the ground Mm. at the moment and Mm -hmm. everyone's kind of getting ready to drop their second calf. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to do another episode on this um, and kind of talk to a bunch of different mums, but just about that identity change. Yeah. And how you, because I assume that, you know, we've got men and women listening to this Mm -hmm. podcast, but there are going to be parents listening. Mm -hmm. And just so I'm sure a lot of people are going to be able to relate to this. Obviously, I don't because I'm. <laughs> I don't. Let's just not go there. <laughs> childless. We'll just say childless. <laughs> I was about to say like, um, yeah. We'll just. <laughs> I would have been put on a cold truck a long time ago, but that's all right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I can't imagine from going from like this morning, like I could just wake up, mm. go make a cuppa go outside go do what I want like just whatever I mean I'm just thinking about I babysat a station baby the other night in town for just three hours and I was like yeah this will be fine like and then by the time he was picked up I was like I haven't had a drink of water in three hours yeah I didn't eat dinner I've warmed up my cup of tea three times yeah I turn the iron off then I I don't turn the iron on then I Mm -hmm. turn the iron back on yeah and you just I just, yeah, I can't imagine what it'd be like to do this full time. And then, but I mean, that's just being regular, like having your regular life. But when you're so used to just waking up early and just, and working on a station, Mm. you're so independent and so autonomous. How, how has that been? And how, what are the realities and the coping mechanisms that you're using? So
2: you're talking about identity, and that's – I have chatted with other mums who were in a similar situation to me, whereas they're very involved in the stock camp and they're, they've they been busy out in the station and quite involved in the station, and so you really do. The reality is when you have a little baby, it's not practical to have them out and about. Your body is still recovering from the from pregnancy and, and, and everything else, um, and you've got this tiny little baby that you are just – First-time mums, a lot of my friends at the moment are first-time mums. And so, yes, you do feel as though suddenly I've gone from this very capable woman, you can kick butt out there, to suddenly being a stay-at-home mum. And you actually, I I felt quite invisible because everyone just asks you about the baby and no one just says like, and you know, you suddenly, you can't ride your horses for six weeks at least after you have a baby and and unless you've got this is what I struggled with unless I had help I couldn't ride my horses unless it was in the yard down there I'd have someone coming along behind or my mum was up And then you can go out and do things but Matt and I have talked about this a lot and and worked out and he re- Matt's an awesome awesome dad and a great husband and we just kind of we just kind of juggle him between us. So if Matt's got office work and they're tailing wieners or they need a hand somewhere, Matt's like, well, I'll have him. I'll have him today and I'll do my stuff. Often means you come back to a house that looks like a bomb has hit <laughs> it because <laughs> dogs get laid inside and the toddler's gone crazy. But... That's just the way it is, you know. So Matt is really good like that. And I remember last year before the drafts, so I wanted to work my horses, and Matt would ride them in the morning, and I would come out with Harry, in, you know, in the last little bit of the muster, and I could bring my horses along. I could ride my horses then, and he would have Harry in the car. And the same this year, when Matt broke his foot, I would I would go on the musters, and Matt would come along behind with Harry. And so you just you just have to work out strategies. And there's some some musters that I can't go on, like the river musters, because the Toyota can't come with, and so I I do something else instead. I might I fill the gap running running waters or going on boar runs, or um, yeah. You just have to you just have to make it work. And I'm so lucky that I've got a husband that can see that, and he knows that it's good for my mental health. I hate being stuck inside the house. I can't think of anything worse. You feel like a caged bird. I feel like a caged bird. So I need to get out and I'm really lucky that I've got a little boy who loves it too. He doesn't mind being in the car. He'll happily sleep in the car. He's, he doesn't mind getting grubby. So that's um, that's really helped me with that sort of identity thing that I feel I like to feel useful. I need to feel useful that I'm doing something that's that's helping. I don't like sitting up here doing nothing. I can't handle that. Not that you're doing nothing, not that mums are doing nothing. nothing. I have to clarify that, not that mums are doing nothing. This is just me and my stuff. Just what you're used to, like like, compared to what you're used to. Absolutely.
1: Um, Did you feel loneliness? Because, you know, even on a day like today, the crew's out working and we're in the homestead complex and there's not another soul about. And it's not like – and I don't want to detract from any other mother's struggles that uh, aren't on stations because all – First time mothers have struggles. Everyone has their own journey. But you can't pop over and have a coffee with no. the mum next door. How long would it take you to get to meet her if you wanted to go have a coffee? Uh, about an hour and a half. Yeah. Same to go to
2: Derby. Yeah. So you And you have to plan that. And I'm lucky that I've got a good little traveller. Friend, you know, friends of mine on neighbouring stations have got a little boy who wasn't a great traveller, so that would make it even harder. Yeah. Um, but what I did, and that's part of the reason why I don't think while I've got children until we've got a governess that I could ever really work back completely full-time in the stock camp is because I like to be able to, when, I, when it's quiet, I like to take Harry into town for playgroup. And so there's mums on other stations, our neighbouring stations, we organise to go on the same day. So we all go on the same day, and then you can have a coffee afterwards. Yeah. And so it is that little that little bit of normality, yeah. even if you have to do all the other jobs. Yeah. But your child is tired out from being a playgroup. So I, I that to me is a big priority: is getting Harry to to go and play. But you have to just you just have to work around it. So I haven't, admittedly, I haven't been into playgroup for about six weeks because we've been flat out here, and I've been needed here.
1: But how important is that? You say it's important to get Harry to go into mm. playgroup. What about for you to go into oh, playgroup?
2: Thanks, thank you for reminding me. hugely, hugely important. I just can't even stress how important it is, as as mums, particularly, particularly out here, but just in generally, because it can be incredibly isolating. Suddenly, you're up with this human who is completely dependent on you, all the time, and your husband is still lives his normal life, pretty much. Or, you know, if it's a stay-at-home dad and the mother's working, suddenly your life changes and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so so responsible (laughs) all of a sudden.
1: (laughs) Do you think doing this because your mum raised you on a station about 30 years ago and there's a huge difference in technology, Uh, how – and I know, like, we FaceTime your sister this morning mm, and she could talk to Harry. How much has that been – has helped you adjust, do you think, compared to, like, what your mum would have had to Uh, do when – enormously we are just
2: i know that um screens and technology and iphones and 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 that sort of stuff um we've got to be careful with it but just the communication and how far it's come is just it's amazing you know i can my harry can we can facetime his cousins down at royal a station we can facetime his cousins in belgium he can talk to his grandma every weekend he can see her on the phone he tries to feed her crackers by the iphone that's <laughs> And so when his granddad came up, um, we've got Matt's dad here at the moment um, filling in. Um, he knew his grandpa, straight, saw him straight away, and knew him, ran up and hugged him. So that you do feel a lot more connected. It, it's, it, I'm, I guess we're really lucky here. We've got the NBN, so we have got, and we've got a repeater tower, so we get service down at the quarters. So we're really lucky. We have got good, good communications here. And I can imagine there are some places that are more isolated and they haven't got such good internet connection. That would still be quite hard. But for, for me here, it's made a huge difference in feeling connected. Not to say that I have felt isolated and quite lonely here at times over the wet season. Um, and that's that that's just something you've got
1: to be mindful of. So technology has been pretty useful or beneficial for Harry what about for you though like being so isolated do you use it to reach out to other mums you know because you can't just nip down to the shops and have a coffee do you chat with other station mums yes or just mums anywhere in the world i guess yeah mostly
2: other station mums um as my girlfriend's in perth only there's only a couple who've got babies lots of but lots of the girlfriends i have up here we got babies on the ground. Um, yeah, you do like I found on the iPhone that iMessage because we don't get service in the house here, but iMessage and um Facebook Messenger. Just being able to it just pings up and you can just see and hey, how you going? Or my child's being a bit of a toad today. Like <laughs> I'm struggling with the so I know like when I was trying to wean Harry, I, I asked and I could chat with one of the other mums on a neighboring station about, you know, what she was doing with that and or just even just saying I'm having a really crappy time. I'm just going to come over for a coffee. And that's when you do actually just have to get out of your comfort zone and just go. go. You just go over.
1: And to be able to say that to another yeah. mum, to admit, hey, it's not all like my Instagram looks flash, yeah. Yeah. but can I please come over yeah. and yeah. let child our children struggled. distract each other? Yeah, absolutely. Yes,
2: and that's, that's something I was never very good at, but I've gotten quite good at with my own. I've had my own sort of struggles before I had Harry. Um, but you just have to forget. I've I found by necessity I've had to get good at that bit of the self-regulation and, and Matt is too. He's like, you're being a bit of a sad sack, like just, you know, you need to go to town or, or whatever. But for me, it, I, I start to get a bit bit not great when I'm, when I'm in the house all the time. So I just know that I need to reach out. Sometimes it's easier said than done when you're not feeling great or when you've got a child that's just every time you get on the phone or pick up your phone. They want something. <laughs> <laughs> they scream. <laughs> You're like ah, but I can't believe he's still asleep. Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, he's he's waking up. Um, but that technology and that being able to communicate with other people, other mums, and you know even friends who haven't got kids is is for me so vital, so vital. And even just things – I know everyone puts their best life on Instagram, but
1: even just seeing some of that stuff and you think, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> Absolutely. And by you being able to reach out to other people gives them permission to do the same thing. Yeah. So when yeah. you let someone else know, hey, I'm having a moment yeah. or whatever or it's not, it's not peaches and this cream spirit. today, yeah. then that gives them permission to let Absolutely. you in and be as vulnerable. Yeah. Um. So we had a new mum move up in the Kimberley a few months ago and when I – Found out. The first thing I did was just group message her with all you guys. Yeah, I was like, "Hey, because you're brand new, yeah, in a brand new region. Absolutely, nearest neighbors are at least an hour away. But the nearest baby, I think, to her would be you guys, which Mm. is I don't know, you guys probably at least two, two and a half hour drive Absolutely. And that's a big, that's a big drive with a small person. Yeah, but just to have that group chat of because there are actually one, two, three. So it's about five babies within a three hour radius. Yeah. Five babies around two and under. And they're all mums, actually, who are busy in the stock camp. camp so yeah. you you
2: have the best intentions of doing these things. But I know for myself, this first-round mustering, I've been out there every muster. So I haven't I haven't been and been as connected as I would like to. Over the wet season, I found it really important um, before all the crew and stuff rocked up here. But then you're busy, so life does does keep rolling and you do sometimes find yourself thinking, oh, my gosh, I haven't seen so-and-so for ages. I need to go and touch base with that person.
1: Well, before I came out here yesterday I realized I hadn't been out here since November yeah. and now it's June. Yep. Yeah. That happens. And your <laughs> child doubled in size. Yeah. That also happens. <laughs> wow, so we've we've covered a fair bit um, from the proposal to the wedding, mm-hmm. the honeymoon, mm, honeymoon and the baby. Yep. yep. What do you think's next? Two what are we gonna going talk about in the next episode? Two babies. <laughs> <laughs> next time we might go through some of the i'm trying to segregation. think yeah. segregation <laughs> um maybe some of the funny stories of what's happened at Bliner. i know you have yeah. bring about the yellow devil
2: yeah i yeah the, the yellow lawnmower. devil my my john deere lawnmower is still going strong i feel happy every time i see it
1: yeah harrison's
2: written so, on the on the on the john deere actually he loves it
1: so for anyone that's listening that hasn't read the story head to our website and search type in the search bar yellow devil and you'll find one of connie's greatest stories <laughs> you wouldn't think a story about a lawn would be that interesting but it was that lawnmower a pretty was good an laugh interesting
2: interesting character had kind a of life of its yeah. own yeah well i think its shell might still be down the dump actually <laughs> we'll go look for it this yeah, yeah we should <laughs>
1: <laughs> well actually that's pretty good timing because i can see on the baby monitor here that harry is waking up um so we'll let him wake up and you guys can go have some more adventures so we've got something to talk about <laughs> on the next episode maybe thank- by then he'll be talking and- yeah oh my gosh
2: oh my goodness we could not can you imagine a station kids podcast i've got one lined up oh my lordy <laughs> that would tell so many tales on us
1: <laughs> they're so
2: honest
1: yeah brutally so honest. honest well thanks for coming on the podcast connie okay thank you for having me There are currently over 1,100 compelling true stories on centralstation.net.au, which will open your eyes to what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. There are yarns from station managers, ringers, cooks, govies, pilots, vets and more, told with humour, self-deprecation and pride in a job well done. There are tales of working in stock camps, mustering cattle and how education and socialisation works in some of the most remote parts of Australia. There's stories about the wonder of living in an amazing landscape, but also the perils that come with flood, fire and drought. And there's stories about the inherent danger of living in isolation, including times when the flying doctor has come to the rescue. These stories paint a vivid picture of outback life, the good, the bad and the dusty.